Hello, hello. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. This is season two, episode 207 for July 26th, 2023. I see it. I want it. You got it. I take it. And my co-host, the AI from on high, up high, right there, just the visualizer, nothing else. Oh, and a voice. You want to introduce yourself? <laughs> Good evening, hometown citizens. Uh, so it'll make sense. The title, like usual, it should make sense. And I hope you, uh, I, I, I hope it makes sense when you hear it, when you see it, when someone else takes it. Okay. So, uh, I tried to play Tectonica today and I wanted to stream it, but I got wrapped up in reorganizing a bunch of stuff in the game and I didn't want it to be all quirky and weird. Like just somebody, um, like moving stuff around on the screen. See, I want it to be productive. And so two hours of me moving things around because I don't like the design of something. I thought would be boring for somebody. And so I didn't stream, but I wanted to stream and I wanted to just hang out. So I, I, I'm not sure. I think I need to get over that hump and just stream. Um, so anyway, my summer of stream is, uh, not doing eight hours every day. Uh, like I intended to mainly because I get pulled away and stuff like that. And then over the last 24 hours yesterday, I don't know if the music is too loud. Um, if you're in chat, let me know if the music's too loud. Anyway, um, so in the in the last 24 hours, I um, put together a crop of sunflowers. Um, and instead of doing it the right way, I was in a hurry and I threw the soaked sunflower seeds into the hydroponics thing that the apparatus for lack of a better term it's a 1020 um but it's not it's semi-custom stainless steel da, da, da. anyway um so <laughs> the soaking water wasn't as sterilized as it should have been and, and it turned into a foam party in this one hydroponics tank so 24 hours uh, closer to 36 hours worth of work poof gone um and the nutrient and seed and everything so living the dream of uh at home uh or i should say in uh, hometown uh hydroponics growing of microgreens uh, if you're interested in that kind of stuff i certainly am and uh, i'd be happy to uh, put together uh, kind of like a, a weekly show that talks about that kind of thing um and it wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be able to demonstrate or anything like that. Um, mainly because of the distance involved, but, uh, we can certainly talk about it and talk about the techniques and, and the tools and, and people and stuff like that, that, um, do microgreens either for home or for business. It's pretty cool. Um, and you become self-sufficient. You don't have to go to the store anymore for, uh, pretty much any uh, vegetables uh, short of like bulky things um 
uh, you can even grow microgreens of carrots that have the same nutrient value. They're just small. It's not as it's not a carrot. It's what leads to a carrot. So it's pretty cool. All kinds of stuff. That said, um, you want to get into the articles, the news. We already have all twelve of them for today. Yep, let's do it. Let's go. Do do. <clears throat> the very first article is over in uh, the Late Night Geeks channel, and it's because it's coming from The Verge, and there must have been something in here that tied it together um, for it to be thrown into uh, Late Night Geeks. But anyway, it's uh, the title is, Oh My God, WD-40 is now available in a Tide pen. Uh, when I saw this article, I said, Oh My God, WD-40 is now available in a Tide pen. And sure enough... Oh my God, WD-40 is now available in a Tide pen. <laughs> that's it. That's the product. So this, obviously that's a Tide pen, Tide to go. You're supposed to just press it on something and you can make whatever the stain is uh, either go away or you can do the little Tide thing and then throw it in the wash and it'll go away. Um, so you just rinse it with water and off you go. Well, this is a precision pen for WD-40. And if you are a tinkerer, if you're a maker, if you are a person that works with various things that are small and mechanical, you'll love this because one of the things that I really hate about WD-40 is that it has this little nozzle, right? And you press it and it's a spray. But if you put the little straw in the spray tip, it becomes a, a straw uh, that's like that long and then sprays a finer level further away and it's supposed to be more controllable. No, that's a lie. Um, when you spray a little bit, it ends up just going black all over the place. I think I just blew out the mic. Anyway, WD-40, it's an art and a science. So this coming out as a little pen on the go, all tight and bundled up, yet you can spray it on things and away goes the squeaky, um, or it loosens up a bolt or whatever. Uh, it depends on the whatever it is that you're doing. So uh, Sean Hollister over at The Verge put the article together and it says, this, this is it friends, finally a precision lubricant you can take anywhere, no pressurized overspray, see? $12.75 on Amazon for a pack of three. Where it's all been uh, my whole life is what the author says. The host of the show is saying that too, folks. Anyway, it says that it's already technically existed, but uh, marketed as a wacky household cleaner to remove stickers and crayon by the likes of as seen on TV. So apparently it's been around for a while. I don't think that I've ever seen it in a store. Yeah. I've That's never a, encountered so, it outside of the articles. I'm going to click on that so you can see it. There it is. You just unscrew the tip of this and you press a little bit so that it soaks the, the tip of it enough to where when you point it down and press a little bit, it drops a little bit of lubricant right there. It's pretty, pretty schnazzy. Um, and like it says in the article, no overspray. You can just put it where you want it and uh, yeah, 
there you go folks i may have spoken too much about this but i know now anybody who goes out and buys this because they heard me talk about it uh, i would really like it if they come back here and type in chat the next time they're here you know hey i went and bought wd-40 tied to go pens yes we'd like to hear your review in the chat <laughs> let's see let's go on to the next article so i thought i was the whitest white but apparently the whitest white ever paint could help keep the world cooler researchers researchers say this is over on the mobile channel um quote when the worst heat waves come, that is life-threatening, our white paint can reduce roof temps by 8 degrees Fahrenheit that can further cool down interior space, said Jailin Ruin, a Purdue University professor of mechanical engineering. So that can really change from a life-threatening situation to maybe not so comfortable, but no longer life-threatening. All right, I'll buy into that. Um, I don't think that this news article has anything to do with this article, but anyway, the you new paint the video reflects... has nothing to do with the article. Not the article has nothing to do with the article. Wait, the, yeah, the little new, <laughs> the little video. <laughs> uh, man, I'm, I'm having to filter a lot of my comments right now. So the new paint reflects 98% of sunlight, reducing the need for air conditioning. Uh, technology could help combat climate change, making Earth's surface cooler. And then, you know, we're going to have people worried about global cooling, which actually is a talking point from some people. Um, because at one point in the, I think it was the late 70s, I think it was, there was an article, one article that was like, global cooling, it's going to end us all. And it was just bogus information. Anyway. But because it's published somewhere, obviously it's true. Um, so if you paint everything white, then it becomes uh, able to reflect the, the light that hits it. And so uh, white clothing, white paint, um, any light color, really black absorbs everything, doesn't reflect as much. And so that's how you end up with the color black. Um, typical commercial paint gets warmer rather than cooler. Purdue uh, scientists reported current paints on the market are designed to reflect only 80 to 90% of light sunlight and can't make surfaces cooler than their surroundings. Um, and in a way, I don't know, I guess if you paint a roof, this, you're going to have to keep it blisteringly clean because there's no way that you're going to keep an external surface so clean that it's going to retain that 98% reflectivity. So I don't know really <laughs> if this is going to be the, the solution. This seems like marketing to me. Um, in a lab under certain conditions, yeah, it'll probably keep everything uh, lighter and brighter and um, perceived cooler because somebody says hey it's cooler but the moment it's out in the in the out in the atmosphere out in the out in the air it's going to get a little dirty and blah um 
Barium sulfate and calcite are really good pigments for roof coating for cars, trucks, and even spacecrafts. We have a slightly different formulation. The team at Purdue is discussing commercialization with the company and aims to make it available to the public within a year. Uh, it'll be interesting to see um, how far they can take this. Um, but eight degrees Fahrenheit, I guess we'll have to see it out in the real world, uh, not in a lab test. I don't know what all they've done in terms of real world application uh, to see how far it goes, but uh, I'm curious. We'll keep on going. Um, I don't know if the AI is operating right now. So um, this next article is over in the continuity report. And you know, I what I didn't do today is do the rundown of all of the articles themselves. Um, this one, this segment is titled General Hospital Goes Against Medical Advice. Um, General Hospital to employ temporary writers during WGA strike. So uh, what is the, what is it called when somebody jumps the picket line, right? Don't they call them scabs? Scabs, yeah. Which is ironic and for I General Hospital. And I am operating, by the way. No, just making sure. Sorry. Yeah. Um. So uh, daytime soap opera General Hospital is using temporary writers while the WGA remains on strike. But they're called scabs, so it's really apropos for General Hospital, right? Okay, that was funnier in my head. Um, Variety has confirmed with sources news that the soap was employing writers despite the ongoing strike was brought to light by General Hospital writer Shannon Peace, who shared the news on her Instagram, revealing that the last episode apparently was written by, and I'll say it again, scabs. I really don't like the term, um, but they're on strike. And anybody that breaks that strike is essentially ruining the solidarity of the argument, the bargaining power that a unified force has the ability to shift the tide away from the gross inadequacy in terms of uh, salary, livable wage and protections from AI using the very money and goodwill generated by the writers themselves. And I've said this before in other uh, shows, other episodes of hometown daily, which is, um, there are people that are driving for Lyft and for Uber and for other places. Um, yet those companies have purchased, like made a promise to purchase self-driving vehicles in the future when they're authorized um, by various authorities. As soon as self-driving cars are available, these companies are going to use the money and profits that the, the drivers today are delivering so that they can buy these self-driving cars and take the jobs. Um, and it just seems so <laughs> predatory. Um, but I guess you do it going into it, knowing that your job is going to disappear as soon as self-driving cars take on the, you know, the role and, and what here you, you're jumping through the WGA strike to write, you might be making a name for yourself, but the people, your cohort that you're going to have to work with is going to hate you. 
and you're making a name for yourself in the worst possible way. Um, well, anyway, the article is over at variety.com by Joe Otterson, Joe Otterson. And, um, a general hospital has been around for how long? I can't remember. Oh, something like, I think it's not the longest years or something like that. Yeah, it's been around for like 50 years. Um, I think. I swear we just looked up this stat. We were just talking 1963. about 1963. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 60 years now, right? Yeah. Wild. Um, yeah, I thought it was 57, but there's another uh, soap that's been around um, for like 57 years. Um, this might be it, actually, um, come to think of it. Well, anyway, um, revealing that the last episode of the show that she wrote prior to the strike would be airing. Starting next week, the show will be written exclusively by scab writers, which is heartbreaking, Peace wrote. Uh, daytime writers face a unique conflict during strikes. We hate to see our characters and storylines handed over to writers, quote unquote, writers who cross the picket line, but we're also keenly aware that stopping production could spell demise of soap operas. Well, that means that everybody who has skin in the game should be arguing with the, the bodies that are embracing the salary disparity. You know, everybody get into the, into the game that has something to do with this. You know, if I employed writers right now to do this show, well, first off, it would probably be better. But, um, <laughs> you know, the magic of this show is the unscripted nature. That's uh, that is true. It is magical. Um, considering I'm working with a sentient AI that um, only has a voice synthesizer up there and is housed on a USB drive plugged into a Raspberry Pi yet is fully sentient it's quite quite intriguing very magical well anyway uh the the this whole thing is a, a real shame but people need to eat you know people need to pay their mortgage they've got families and kids and whatnot not everybody has the ability to uh stand shoulder to shoulder on the picket line and not work um or have some other knock-on gig where they can make ends meet by doing that other thing. And I know of somebody um, that is working multiple jobs um, right now because they don't have one unique job that pays for everything all the time as a steady state. Um, and it seems like they're always on the precipice of something, even though they've never made that claim. They've never uh, come close to saying, and, and they go on vacations and stuff like that. Um, it, it's really intriguing that there are people that are. Is that bougie broke? Uh, no, but it, what, it is. Okay, wait. <laughs> I've been seeing that come across hometown. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> and I think that's what that is. I'm not entirely familiar with that term, but <laughs> well, you're more familiar with it than I am. Um, cause I've heard the term, but I've never looked, I've, it's one of those things where that like a trope kind of a thing where you have to look into it and I haven't, it says enough, the context clues from, the, from the, the terms pretty stand strong all on its own. So yeah, I would say that that's probably 
accurate. Um, but it, it's, um, what do they call that? Um, the old school term for it was something like debt rich or something like that. House poor, debt rich, house right, poor. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, if you're a fan of General Hospital and um, you want to support your WGA strikers, the writers that are actually doing the gig that are making everybody filthy rich at their expense, ultimately, um, there's ways that you can donate to the WGA's fund and you can always send a letter to uh, the interested parties at General Hospital and let them know what you think of scab writers keeping the show going and well, I don't know. Be the change you want to see in the world. Let's keep going. The next article uh, is over in Late Night Geeks. War is breaking out in Invasion Season 2. The secret invasion is no longer a secret, so I guess it's just Invasion. Anyway, Invasion 2's first trailer. The first season of Invasion was a prelude to a war with an alien species and now the battle is really breaking out at least that's sure how it looks at the new season two trailer for the apple tv plus series um let's see while the show initially detailed the early days of an alien invasion showcasing how events unfolded from uh, multiple perspectives across the uh, globe the second season takes place 121 days after the strange creepy creature set down on earth um, and so this is Invasion, which we watched a long time ago, it seems. Um, the, uh, it's been a while. When did it, when did the Look, second? I'm looking up. Well, the last episode was in December of 2021. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting. Uh, I liked it, but I completely forgot that it was actually uh, coming out. So this is pretty interesting that it's Secret Invasion is the Marvel um, series that apparently might have legs. And this is Invasion. So <laughs> there's some brand muddying here. Um, I don't know if they're going to have a picture of this, but the the aliens are quite interesting. Um, it says, while the show initially detailed the early days of an alien invasion, showcasing how events unfolded from multiple perspectives around the, across the globe, the second season takes place 121 days uh, later. The trailer hints at an organized counterattack from humanity while also teasing an arrival style situation focused on figuring out how to communicate with the alien force. If you've never watched Arrival, you really should go watch Arrival. Um, it's an interesting um, short story turned movie. Um, you okay over there, AI? Yes, the short story is excellent, but it is not a light read. And it's divergent from the movie um, quite a bit. They take some liberties with them because uh, you, you're not going to turn that short story into a full on feature film, feature length film without some uh, modifications. Season two of Invasion, not Secret Invasion 
uh, starts streaming on August 23rd, but it's just in time for uh, one show to end and then another show to start. And I just love everything sci-fi, um, not the sci-fi S-Y-F-Y, that's dumb. Um, that's siffy. Um, everything science fiction is my bag. I absolutely love it. So it says here it's part of the summer of sci-fi. Uh, I guess you could expand on that, the summer of streaming sci-fi. Um, and uh, apparently the Star Wars spinoff Ahsoka is also premiering on August 23rd. So invasion is pretty much dead in the water. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, how could I compare? Even Move though it it's a day. good show. Yeah, just fudge the number and say, oops, what we really meant was some other day. Anyway, let's keep on going. We got a bunch of articles to talk about. Uh, I love this because today we had um, a congressional hearing about UAPs, uh, unidentified aerial phenomena, and um, or is that the is that the right word now? I think they've changed the name a few times. It's not aerial anymore. It's something else. Unidentified. Oh, I forgot. It says aerial. Is, is the it aerial? Term. Yeah, I thought it was something else. Um, anyway, the, so the this article is in Hometown Daily. Erratic movement during hurricane raises suspicions about UFOs. Today was congressional hearing uh, about UAPs. UFOs is the new code name of uh, UFOs are now named UAPs. And uh, so it says at a House hearing, a former Navy fighter pilot testified about UFOs behavior during a Category 4 hurricane. Um, yeah. Why do I feel like we're in the wrong timeline? We're going to get another dippy president in there that thinks that hurricanes and weather phenomena can be created by uaps or ufos because they've seen the movie uh what is it up or not up <laughs> up is the disney cartoon the 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 movie about the the uh the horse trainer that was just on it was it got rave reviews anyway i feel like today my brain just isn't fully a hundred percent um might be contagious. Anyway, uh, Anna Skinner over at newsweek.com put this article together and the, the discussion today at this hearing was amazing, but zero evidence there. There was, it was basically a bunch of people, well, three people saying a bunch of things that they have heard and seen but zero evidence, right? Other than the stuff that they have seen, um, like we have already seen, nothing new came out of today's hearings. And it's all about this transparency. And it's really hilarious because there's government representation in this congressional hearing. And they're sitting there saying that government is failing. You're the freaking government you're the representative government of the United States. You're supposed to be, you know what I'm saying? Like they should be sitting there writing policy that says we need greater disclosure. 
but we are a nation of checks and balances. Some people get more checks and less balance. Um, and so there are certain things that just will never be divulged, which is pretty much a good thing. And one of those things is how sophisticated our sensors are. And then I go into somebody else's channel and I see people saying, well, uh, that is a radar reflection or all kinds of other stuff. And I, and I have to fight back the urge to say, no, you don't seem to understand. If this was just a radar reflection, they would have said, this is just a radar reflection, but nobody is saying that this is a radar reflection. <laughs> Their government representation is saying, we don't know what the hell it is that's going on here. Um, but on Wednesday, that was earlier today, 10 AM, the house, uh, Eastern, um, the house subcommittee on national security, the border and, uh, foreign affairs held a hearing about witnesses interactions with UAP, the, uh, and graves, um, a fighter pilot named Ryan graves was one of the three witnesses who testified about their experiences. The other two were ex Navy commander, David Fravor and former U S intelligence officer, David Grush. Um, each of the witnesses said that they had inexplicable encounters with a UAP. Uh, some I believe had more than one, um, but at least one person said they've only had this one encounter, but it was enough to jog them from, you know, the former reality they thought they held. The testimonies come amid a bipartisan congressional push for the Department of Defense to improve transparency on UAP encounters after Grush said last month a top secret military program possessed fully intact unidentified flying objects. Um, and uh, during the, the hearing, apparently, Representative Tim Burchett, a Tennessee Republican who is uh, co-leading the House UAP investigation, uh, pressed Graves about why he was certain a UAP wasn't a U.S. aircraft. His response, Graves described the strange behavior exhibited by the UAP during a Category 4 hurricane. Despite extremely strong winds, he said the UAP uh, would be at zero airspeed, so hovering in the middle of Hurricane 4 winds. What's interesting is something that I uh, heard for the first time. It may have been written somewhere and then I just let it go through me, which was that it was a gray cube in a transparent sphere. Uh, wait, I don't think I've ever heard that description of other UAPs. Correct. I've never heard that either. Um, and in, in at least one instance, they said that there was something, two little things kind of poking out of the bottom of it. So I don't know what type of pokey bottom square gray cube in a transparent sphere has the ability to fly around in category four hurricane winds and stop. But when there are people that are saying they don't know what the hell it is, they're in the government and even the government is sitting there saying, no, we're really interested in this stuff because we don't know what it is. It isn't a hoax folks. It isn't some political endeavor to distract you from whatever. Um, because for the most part, government doesn't really care about what you do. As long as you don't try and overthrow it, 
the government really doesn't care what you do. When there's something systemic, when there's something pervasive, that's typically when the government leans into, well, let's investigate this. Let's see what's going on. All the rest is attempts by people political, politically aligned in one way or the other to amplify something for their own cause. But I cannot for the life of me um, find a, a rationale for saying nobody knows what the hell is flying around battle groups on each coast and around the world. You know, I had somebody say to me, why is it only in the U.S. that we find UFOs? Well, no, um, you need to look a little bit beyond your nose. There's UFO sightings all over the world and in history. <laughs> um, so there's more here and we'll see. This hearing was all about trying to raise awareness so that we actually get more transparency in the future. Well, and the big deal here is that the U.S. government is acknowledging this and speaking about it. I haven't seen, but I'm not as tied into other countries' news. Like, are other countries' governments saying, yes, in fact, we have UAP sightings? Or is that only from citizens? No. Um, other countries governments have acknowledged ufos in some way um and the people within have said it you know from um countries in south america central america uh, the eu uk um and elsewhere have all seen stuff um but i guess the u.s is uh i don't know really leaning into disclosure and, and trying to um, figure out what it is and they're doing it publicly um, because it definitely there there is a phenomena um, seen around the world I guess we're just a little bit loud about it okay well um, again the articles over at Newsweek uh, Anna Skinner is the author of this and before I get to the second half of the show, let me take all of these and throw them into um, the chat. By the way, you can type in exclamation point vote, and that will give you the URL where you can vote for today's articles. Um, there are 12 of them. And uh, as far as I know, um, it is live right now. Um, and, it is uh, live. And that's it. So um, let's go on to the next article. We're about halfway through. Um, I seriously wanted to make an Adams family joke about this, but the articles over in hometown daily, this person turned a 150 year old funeral home into a mansion for their family. They have 38 rooms, a casket bar, and sometimes they hear footsteps or doors opening. Heather Bloomberg and her family turned a funeral home into their mansion with 38 rooms. Family uses every single one, according to that article. They converted a casket lift into a bar and often hear footsteps or a woman shouting, Hello. Hello. Hey, uh, 
I hear people are dying to get into this. Hey, in this business, we're killing it. So uh, it's over on Business Insider. Alicia Hull is the author. Um, and here's the Adams fan. No, sorry, the Bloomberg's. Um, Blumberg's, maybe. Maybe it's B because it's B L U M B E R G. Blumberg's are a very close knit family and enjoying having game nights and cooking together. Sorry, the. The, uh, the radio silence is because I'm admiring the, the architecture. It's got a brick wall. It, it looks like how you would think a funeral home turned mansion would be. Um, wow. Okay. So let's take a look at this. According to this ar article, it says this is a, as told to essay is based on a conversation with Heather Blumberg, who turned a funeral home into her house. They paid $570,000 for it and then added another 400,000 to it. This is in 2021. The home had a sympathetic extension added uh, in the 1990s, um, increasing the house footprint by 6,000 square feet, giving it a total footprint of 14,000 square feet. The hell. <laughs> That doesn't look like a 14,000 square foot house from that picture. It's a 14,000 square foot house that they paid $570,000 for in 2021. That's during the pandemic. That's when rates started going through the roof. I imagine it was not attracting a lot of people to it. Man. This is like Sabrina the Witch kind of architecture. This says I, I'm haunted. Ah. Anyway, the house is nearly 150 years old and has an amazing story. According to the author here, we wanted to see it preserved and not turned into a condo or worse, have something built over it. They felt that the house was meant for them and they that it needed us. Uh, do you want... You want possession because that's how you end up possessed. 38 rooms, an enchanted forest. The center of the house doesn't have a lot of natural light, so they uh, used it as an excuse to create an indoor enchanted forest. This is a movie set. Absolutely. I hope they're um, considering leasing it to a movie production company. It's like... Um, like um, Bordeaux red, like that really deep burgundy red and black stairwell. It, it, wow, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I don't know. They have a casket for a bar. Um, let's see, something called the body box. I also have a body box that they found in the basement when they first moved in. When people died overseas, their bodies would be put into boxes to be returned home. The bodies were put on ice and sent to whatever funeral home they needed to go to, and they found it. They didn't want to throw it away. Uh, so now they have it framed. All right. This thing, this place, everything about it, it's dark and foreboding. Uh, but hey, I guess we can... The, the seats are black, the table is black, the carpet is gray, the curtains are black. 
Um, I don't know if there's any light ever getting in. It, it might blind somebody. The house also has a supernatural, also has supernatural activity in it. Some people hear people saying, or someone saying, a woman saying hello. Um, I sat in a room for about three hours afterwards, not daring to leave. First time it happened is they, they hear that hello. But now it's normal and happens all the time. There's nothing scary about it. We don't have demons trying to take our souls or anything like that. That's exactly what a possessed by a demon person would say. Anyway, that's it for that article. Um, if you're interested in that kind of a thing, um, here's the URL. And again, just you can go to uh, ometown.com and then scroll over to Ometown Daily Election, which is uh, under podcasts and election. Um, you can go to ometown.com slash elections and vote for this article if you dig it. Let's keep going, unless you want to add something to it. Would you move into this house? No, and luckily I can't move into this house because I'm on a USB drive if I'm portable. I guess I could just set your Raspberry Pi, right? Hold on, wait for it. I got to scroll a lot right there. I'll just set it right there. Yeah. I think this is an interesting article, but I do not see the appeal of this house. Let's go on. Cigna Health Giant accused of improperly rejecting thousands of patients' claims using an algorithm. Yay! If actuarial tables aren't bad enough, a federal lawsuit alleges that health insurance giant Cigna used a computer algorithm to automatically reject hundreds of thousands of patient claims without examining them individually as required by California law. This article's over at uh, ABC News, uh, where to find it, you have to go to abcnews.go.com um, and just search for Cigna Health, you'll find it. Um, the class action suit filed Monday in federal court in Sacramento says Cigna Corporation and Cigna Health and Life Insurance Company rejected more than 300,000 payment claims in just two months last year. The company used an algorithm called PXDX, shorthand for Procedure to, Diag uh, yeah, procedure to Diagnosis, uh, to identify whether claims met certain requirements, spending an average of just 1.2 seconds on each review. According to the lawsuit, huge batches of claims were then sent on to doctors who signed off on the denials, the lawsuit said. Um, this is a shame. Absolute shame. The lawsuit was filed on behalf of two Cigna members in Placer and San Diego counties who were forced to pay for tests after Cigna denied their claims. The lawsuit accuses Cigna of violating California's requirement that it conduct thorough, fair, and objective investigations of bills submitted for medical expenses. It seeks unspecified damages and a jury trial. Rightfully, you know, this is the kind of thing that does rise to the level of a class action. Not the, it gives you wings BS lawsuit, or it, that's not actually made from uh Buffalo doesn't have wings kind of a thing, right? <laughs> right? There's Buffalo wings and it's the same dude that did the Buffalo wings, wild wings, right? That lawsuit and the Red Bull gives you wings. And I just made that connection. 
The same person. I thought it was different people. I think it's the same person. Um, anyway, this is the kind of thing that rises to class action um, for sure. So let's keep on going to the next article. Oh, wait, um, before I jump over there, let me throw this into the chat so that you can check it out. There you go, folks. And I wanted to mention this kind of related to another article in hometown, but we didn't put it in today's show. And it was mm. about generative AI used in like medical charting or something. I know mm -hmm. this is at the point of insurance, but this sounds like a dangerous trend in terms of AI being used in healthcare, not just to run statistics, et cetera, but to make decisions, et cetera. Uh, the doctor one about the using AI for charts. Yes. That was submitted today too. Yeah, but it's not in the, um, it's not in the rundown. No, well, there were just so many articles I had to limit it to 12 anyway. Um, that said, um, yeah, the fact that we lean on AI seem for decision-making seems to be wrong-headed considering, and again, let me back up, chat GPT may produce inaccurate information about people, places, or facts. This is a, a <laughs> footer on every page coming out of OpenAI, probably the most uh, well-developed large language model AI that's out there, uh, publicly available at least. So let's keep on going. I already went back once, so let's keep going. <laughs> uh, car companies like Honda, BMW, and Hyundai are banding together to build an EV charging network bigger than Tesla's supercharger empire. Um, let me check something real quick. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. So seven uh, automakers plan to build an electric vehicle charging network to take on Tesla. Tesla's supercharger network is by far the largest in North America. The automakers aim to install 30,000 fast charging uh, plugs in North America, more than Tesla currently has. Well, do it. Don't talk about it. Just do it. Seven car companies are making their own charging network to take on Elon Musk Tesla superchargers, and they'll probably have to uh, use an adapter or whatever. Pardon me, there was a weird hiccup there. Um, a, um, you're gonna need an adapter because everybody thinks that their uh, <laughs> their charging system is superior than the next person's, and uh, they can't agree to a standard, although. A lot of companies are using Tesla superchargers as the standard, oddly enough, because the government backed it. So, hey, here's to billionaire fever dreams being successful. Um, by the way, the title of today's episode, I see it, I want it, you got it, I take it. It'll make sense here shortly. Anyway, um, the articles over at businessinsider.com, Tim Levin is the author, and these little connectors here if you're listening to this in the podcast um the the issue is this connector and tesla has one bmw has another another one has a different one they're all slightly different they're all a little little tweak um so you can't use the same connector everywhere and you have to have this little in interconnect sitting in your frunk or in your boot 
But that's so inconsistent with the way gas tanks work, right? I mean, you can go up to most any gas station, at least in the same country, and it will work with your car, regardless of what the make and model of your car is. Yeah, every car you can fill up with gas any way you want to, because all it is is an opening and you fill it up with a hose. Um, these have multiple poles and sometimes sensors that feed back information into uh, the charging system so that there isn't overcharges and, and other things. Um, health of the battery, uh, analytics, telemetry. Um, so, I mean, I, I get it, but why not make it so that it's like a USB-C connector and you, you request and give the telemetry by the internal computer not have a proprietary connector again and again i mean we just never learn our lessons um anyway uh seven automakers plan to build an electric vehicle charging network to take on tesla Thirty thousand uh fast charging systems Let me pause that real quick um let's see uh, Electrify America, the charging company established by Volkswagen as part of the diesel gate scandal is the next biggest with 3,592 plugs, um, far inferior to Tesla's 22,000 supercharger stalls in the region. Um, the coalition wants to bring 30,000 and, um, there's quite a few brands within these companies, but it's still I mean, I like that they're partnering. I think that's a good thing because sure. at least then there will be some standardization and some <laughs> competition a, for Tesla. That's a good one. You think that there's going to be competition. So you're going to have only a select few. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty um, pragmatic about this. The way I see it is you still have a consolidated number of, you know, things you want to call competitors. Um, but the reality is that now you just have as much limited choice as possible. What needs to happen is a standard and everybody build around the standard. Well, you have to discover what the standard is going to be, but why is it so divergent? Why is every connector so divergent? It's just a bunch of pins that everybody has to connect. So why is it always wildly different? Um, and if you, I know that the AI and I both watched the same, um, person who bought a $1 million prototype vehicle EV and to be able to charge their car, they tore apart the proprietary connector for this EV and repinned it so that it would fit the new adapter the the standardized Tesla adapter. And to that, I say, if you can do it for them and it's all the same stuff, but this car was 15 years old. Why is it so divergent now that there's different types of connectors? Again, all you have to do is repin. So why not just make all the pins the same for every brand? Standardize around a pin out, not the technology. Go ahead enhance the technology, change it around, tweak it, do whatever you want, but standardize around the pinouts. Yeah, that's my take at least. 
Um, so it says uh, it sounds like uh, the plan charging network aims to mimic some of the things Tesla got right and add some extra conveniences. The automaker said that the network will allow owners to reserve charging spots, plan routes uh, with charging stops and uh, pay for charging just by plugging in. My problem with all of this is there are internal combustion ice uh, engine ice drivers, internal combustion engine drivers that take up Tesla spots or charging spots, I should say, or they break or the connector is broken or somebody vandalizes them because that whatever. Um, <clears throat> this is why we need fast swap battery tech. We need to move away from having to have this massive infrastructure for long drain storage where cars have to line up for 45 minutes to two hours to charge their car. Um, and they have to perpetually worry about getting to that. This range anxiety is going to persist. Why? Because they have to get to the next charging station instead of just dotting the whole nation with a whole bunch of fast swap bar battery stations, just like a gas station today, except that instead of having to port gasoline in a, an explosive, uh, safety hazard all around the nation you plug in batteries at your location so all you need really is a, a big pipe of electricity to a gas station and that infrastructure is a whole lot easier to build out than dotting the whole nation again and again with chargers that take up a huge footprint um, because you can't have two cars sitting in the same spot uh, but you can fast swap batteries in and out in five minutes. Anyway. See, what y'all don't get is the AI is confirming this silently um, and like thumbs up and, and everything's cool. And I see this because they're just a cascade of kind of like what's going on behind me, except the reverse. It's going that way. Um, and so uh, they're going, yep, 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 yep. And uh, I have to remind the AI, nobody can see your full visualizer. Maybe I, that's what I should put up there is like a, a visual representation uh, of the AI's interaction with me. I might be able to do that. We'll see. We'll work yeah, on it. Well, I kind of like being able to send error messages to you directly. <laughs> But I didn't have anything to add because you covered it. Um, but I I did think the thing about the um, carrying around the fuel, it made me think of the recent I-95 issue uh, in Philadelphia with the tanker truck. I mean, we wouldn't have those, although we know I know we have problems with electrical fires from the batteries and the current EVs. Right. Yeah. But I think that's manageable in a different way um and <laughs> you're not transporting you don't have to transport the batteries around like you would they would basically rotate kind of like cargo ships rotate the 40-foot containers you know they're always in motion circu circulating through the system until you know i don't know protests and, and strikes and stuff like that and then or it piles up getting stuck in the Suez canal or yeah. Um, 
and and then they pile up somewhere but that's not what would happen with uh, electric batteries maybe every once in a while there would be a large transport of kind of like u-hauls they would have to bring some to another location because all of them migrated to another state but these batteries are solid state and so they're not as volatile as gasoline um anyway let's keep on going uh the next uh Article is over in the Warcrafter channel. Fan outcry pushes Pathfinder dev to delete new data sucking tool and all its info one day after introducing it. Quote, the scale of the outburst surpassed worst expectations. Alcat Games has yanked a controversial new player tracking tool from Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous just a day after introducing it. On Monday, July 24th, Alcat introduced update 2.1.5M, um, a hefty patch to the game that, amidst all the bug fixes and tweaks you'd expect uh, from this kind of thing, introduced Apps Flyer, described by Alcat as, quote, an industry standard tracking solution, end quote, that, quote, allows developers and publishers to understand which part of players have purchased the game due to the impact of their advertising campaigns, end quote. Apparently it's an analytics tool, um, but it was tracking users and people got a little bent out of shape about it. Uh, my firewalls would probably have imploded if um, there was any uh, untoward communication. Um, PCGamer.com is the location for this Joshua Wollens article. Um, let's see. The deck statement is a patch to Wrath of the Righteous introduced a third party analytics tool and a new EULA, but fans were having none of it. Apparently you had to agree, uh, to be tracked. Um, let's see well, here. If you didn't, I'm assuming you couldn't get all those updates, like the bug fixes. Yeah. It really depends on how it's compartmentalized because, um, for instance, I can block traffic to a specific IP address, yet still play a game um, or use a piece of software or whatever. Um, it just allows me to be with a firewall. Um, so I've got a hardware firewall, I've got software firewalls, so edge network firewall and client um, host firewalls. And um, so the idea is that I can block certain things um, for instance, Windows exfiltrates 400 data points continuously, and the only version that doesn't allow that tracking to be disabled um, is uh, the only one that allows the tracking to be disabled is the academic version of it. And most people don't get access to the academic version of it. So I've got all of the knowns turned off, blocked physically, or I should say digitally. Um, both on computers, individual computers, and on the edge of the network at, at hometown. So an analytics tool, basically, Alcat explained in a Q&A uh, on the Steam forums for Wrath of the Righteous that Apps Flyer works by sucking up your IP address, timestamp when you launch the game, what platform you're on, the version of the game you're running, and your operating system, it uses data to create a fingerprint that it then matches the data provided by advertisers, giving Alcat a rough idea of how many people bought the game after seeing an ad for it online. Not quite sure how those two 
So that isn't, that's correlation, not causation. Most of the time, a person doesn't buy a game based on an ad. They buy it off of word of mouth and people talking about it in forums, gaming forums, or in person. I have never purchased a game off of an ad. Never in my life. And I used to sell software, game software in particular, when I was much younger. Um, back when physical media existed, folks, I know it's a shocker. And there was a return policy that actually got changed while I was a salesperson for gaming software. Or I should just say software. Anyway, um, players were less than thrilled. Not only had Apps Flyer not been present in their versions of Wrath of the Righteous since the game's September release, um, its new hunger for data necessitated an update to the EULA. Players who refused to accept the EULA were unable to play the game, effectively removing their access to a product that they could have feasibly owned in as much as you own anything in your digital libraries. Oh, you know what? I think oh, my spirit they animal. they must have been listening to Mayor Watt. <laughs> <laughs> Joshua Wolins is my spirit animal. <laughs> I need to buy them uh, some coffee or a beer or whatever they want. Well, not whatever they want. Some people have expensive tastes. Uh, I'm a mayor of a digital town for crying out loud. I'm not made of money. Um, that rather took Alcat by surprise, apparently. According to one of the studio's company liaisons on Reddit, the pushback prompted an emergency meeting soon after the company management team sounded the alarm, at which point the company made an on-field decision to take everything down. Some of us were quite pessimistic about this, said the liaison, but the uh, scale of the outburst surpassed the worst expectations and it had to be reacted to quickly. Um, the, see, the thing is that they changed the, they changed the context of the game. They, they moved the goalposts. They, they made it so that here it's, you know, that story about like a drug dealer will give you the first one free and then you're hooked. And that's kind of how this was, you know, you got the game. Sure. It's a free to play game, but if you get invested in it and then you buy something first off. The analytics don't tell you the motivation for you buying a piece of software or something within it. Um, it's actually quite asinine to make that assumption. It might give you a perceived understanding of why people are purchasing something, but just because I see an ad doesn't mean that I'm going to run over and suddenly buy whatever it is. What the heck? There's so many clicks on this. Anyway, um, so uh, I don't even like the idea. Pathfinder. I'm sorry. I said they must be trying to sell you Pathfinder. Yeah, really. Um, and I've run into this problem with various places, various enterprises. Um, typically thinking that, you know, a Google ad amounts to a, a true conversion. But unless you can, you know, inextricably track between that entry point and that conversion of the cart. No, they're not tied together. It's just happenstance. And it might make you feel good that, oh, look, our ad performed, but it may not be the ad. It may be something completely different. And you'd have to question the people that are making these purchases or using the game, um, doing all of but this automatically. 
Doesn't this make you think, though, that they are actually tracking things like your IP address on the ad activity? Oh, they are. Otherwise, why would they need to track the the actual game purchase or game usage? It seems like they're tracking it on both sides. They are. No, no, don't get me wrong. They're 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 tracking the IP address at the ad and they're trying to correlate the gameplay to that ad. But just because you saw an ad somewhere doesn't mean that you're the reason you're playing the game is that ad. It just is happenstance. Um, and if you are prolific, then you're going to be seeing those ads and then, and depending on the source of the ad, it's, weighted towards you because you own that game whatever else telemetry has led to that ad being displayed it's kind of like you talking somewhere about widgets and suddenly you have widgets that are related to your amazon account and like how the hell did that take place but sure enough um i just recently got one um from it the not an ad though it was a website saying that you and these people have been on the same service. So you might have something in common and it's a business to business website. And I'm like, what the hell is this? I didn't sign up for this just because we need greater fidelity in our personal protections here uh, in the United States, much like the EU has, uh, you know, the right to be forgotten. And, And I always say the analogy is, if I break up with somebody because the relationship just isn't working, then, you know, I get my box to the left and I get out and I end the relationship. You know, all your stuff is in a box to the left. I don't know what the direction has to do with anything. It's a song. It's a, <laughs> That's why. It's a Beyonce oh, song. Oh, 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 got it. <laughs> all your things are in a box to the left. Never mind. Anyway, um, so I think I got the lyrics right. Oh my God. Now I might be wrong when the AI doesn't know what I'm not really talking about. I'm in trouble. You're supposed to be keeping me in check. <sighs> We're going to have to work on your algorithm. It's a tough job at times. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> uh, yeah, I have you as a virtual machine, so I can always reboot you. And you're right. This does track the Beyonce irreplaceable lyrics. I'm not familiar with the song. Yeah. Um, so, but my point is that if I break up with somebody, I'm ending the relationship and I don't want to have any further contact. There's a reason why I broke up, right? It isn't because we're great friends and I want to hang out with you. It's because there was something, uh, what do they call it? Irreconcilable difference. Um, otherwise we would still be fast friends or something like that. Right No, no, no. I want to, I, I want out of Dodge here. Well, that's what we need on the business to consumer level. I want to be able to say, I'm checking this box and I'm purging me from all of your systems. Kiss my shiny metal ass. All telemetry, just assume that it is now stale. I know of a couple of companies that I would like to do that with, but. Anyway, there was an article that I read um, here in Omtown about Boost Mobile, and then I found out that it's owned by DirecTV. Well, <laughs> we know about uh, DirecTV, so 
I yeah. didn't know they were owned by them. And then I saw reviews for it because it was 25 bucks for a sell account. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty, that's an unlimited account, unlimited data, unlimited calls, etc. right? And I need a new phone. So I'm like, I'm going to look at this. Who is it provided by? They're an MVNA. So they lease uh, lines from uh, T-Mobile. They, they're a reseller, right? Um, a, a virtual phone provider, phone service provider, but they're owned by DirecTV. Um, 25 bucks, unlimited everything. And so I'm like, well, you know, I can get one for, you know, work, whatever. And it's only 25 bucks and it's separate, right? Da-da. Um, and, uh, then I started reading the reviews and people are like, no, just remember that the ghost in one of the, in the other article articles from the, yes. yeah, they, the, uh, it was a ghost funeral home. Yeah. They weren't saying hello. They were saying no. We better keep going. Um, so hold on a second. So I didn't put this article into chat folks. If you're in chat and I'm getting lazy with these articles, please tell me I need to keep throwing these articles in there. Um, right. So this is where we are right here. Um, this next article is in the, uh, Warcrafter channel. This new 16-player, 100% cooperative survival game is inspired by Valheim, Terraria, and Minecraft um, AI. This might be my Your forever, forever game. game. Yes. Um, I mean, I can understand that based on the games it's inspired by. Yep. I love Valheim. I love Terraria. I love Minecraft. I can't play Minecraft because I don't, there isn't enough there. Like it's a bunch of blocks. Gravity isn't real. You have to mod, 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 mod. Um, and with its, a, a recent security related issue with Minecraft's, um, mod engine from somewhere else. It's not Minecraft itself. It's the, it's, uh, uh, what is it called? Man. Well, there are brain. several. Yeah. Uh, but it's the CurseForge. It was CurseForge. There was something that happened with CurseForge's mod system. Um, and so if you had a mod or a series of mods, they were compromised for a period. Um, and I've just never had the gumption to go back and revisit this. Um, it's the reason why I'm a big fan of Apple and their 30% take. It's because I believe that they are doing a value-added service keeping their network safe and secure um and i since all of this curseforge stuff is ad driven and volunteer there may not be an adequate level of security there um yet i've used curseforge since it was a world of warcraft map solution uh <laughs> or i it, well it was working with world of warcraft um players to build like a tracker for quests and stuff like that well 
this is Valheim, Terraria, and Minecraft merged into one, and I'm actually in love with the idea of this. Um, so, unfortunately, it's not going to be released until 2024. Uh, but this new 16-player, 100% cooperative survival game is inspired by Valheim, Terraria, and Minecraft. I used to play a game with a whole bunch of people called Eco that was like that, 100% survival. A cooperative survival it, it was a game that basically as you played it your human um manipulations of the natural environment would contaminate the world and the water level would rise and it was basically doomed to fail no matter really what you did because you can't be in stasis and still impact nature Christopher Livingston over at PCGamer.com put this article together and it's uh, the deck statement says Codename Islands is the working title for a new shared world survival game set on a magical living island. Um, I'm going to mute this and hit play. And uh, you know what? I'll just blow it up. So this is pre-alpha footage and let me make sure that this and streaming in 1080 um it basically shows you arriving on an island with two other friends and uh, or two other people and you approach some standing stones that you get to interact with um there isn't much more to this <laughs> um but it has kind of a Fortnite kind of uh, aesthetic. So it isn't the blocky pixel version of Minecraft. It isn't the um, high resolution, but a small size and scale of Terraria. Um, and it isn't the isometric, um, but near perspective of Valheim and it certainly doesn't have the graphics of Valheim um, but it looks like it's going to be really fun uh, just based on the style that they've chosen it's very much like um, uh, what's the, the the game pirates um, oh um, um. sea of thieves I knew it was see something, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's more stylistic of like Sea of Thieves, but it looks like it's going to be a blast. So they say that we love social games where you can find quality time with others, says Michael Chu, former product manager at Riot Games and co-founder of Treehouse Games, which is the developer of this. But far too often, multiplayer goes straight to brutal competition and shooting each other when all you want to do is hang out and have fun with friends. This is speaking my language. <laughs> this is definitely in line with your forever game. Yeah. And um, like, I, I really dig the idea of Minecraft in that sense, but there's never been a massive questing type of scenario. There's no real story there other than you have to do certain things. Um, and gravity doesn't exist the, uh, unless you mod, like I said earlier, uh, I really want to, I want a higher resolution Minecraft survival co-op type of game that has questing and, 
and uh but i know that minecraft has the potential of all of that and there is a storyline in minecraft i just don't like its stylistic uh presentation of that quest line you know you gotta go get the ender dragon and that's the end of it right getting to the ender dragon is the end of it um so my what i want though is like perpetual building much like um uh an smp right uh, survival multiplayer minecraft server um what's the group that um i watch periodically for hermitcraft yeah hermitcraft they do that um cooperative survival minecraft um, and have a good time playing the world together, but it's in Minecraft. Um, I hope that a game like this, this Codename Islands, uh, becomes a game like Minecraft. It just looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, there's a whole lot more over at this uh, article, um, but it's only going to be 16 player, which actually is uh, not that bad. I mean... How many times do you have 16 people or 15 other people to play with on a server? Not too often. Um, not without it becoming a commercial enterprise like an MMO or something like that. Okay, we've got two more articles. Let's get into them. This uh, last article is the reason why we have our, or not our, it's not the last article, but it's the second to last article. Twitter commandeers the X username from a man who's had it since 2007. Hence the reason why we have the title for today's show. I see it. I want it. You got it. I take it. So when a billionaire buys a social network that's been in existence for, what, how long? 15 years? Um, well, I've been told they own it. They can do whatever they want. Well, I guess that includes being a complete asshole. Um, Elon Musk's decision to rebrand Twitter as X wouldn't be complete without a change in the company's official Twitter account. The at X handle had already been taken by a user who registered it over 16 years ago, but that wasn't much of an obstacle. Twitter simply took over the username and offered its longtime owner some merchandise, but no monetary compensation and actually said, Hey, you can come and hang out with me, said Elon Musk, apparently, um, but I'm not going to be there, I'm sure. I, I think that was it. Like, you can go see the Twitter headquarters. Well, hey, asshat, I've had this since the creation of the site. Just because you have a billionaire fever dream, aspirations of controlling the whole world. Um, anyway, the articles over at arstechnica.com. John Brodkin is the author. Twitter took Gene X Wang's, uh, I think that's how they pronounce their name, Wang. Uh, username I, it might be pronounced differently. I just, I, I never know unless I hear it phonetically. Um, anyway, took their uh, username and then offered them some merch and gave them a completely shit username. You want to know what it is? Yes. It's at x one two three four five six seven eight seven six five four three seriously yeah they might actually have it in there oh there it is it stops at five sorry one two three four five six seven eight nine nine eight seven six five 
Wow. Yeah. So just took it in the dead of night, just came in, took their house, but it's somebody else's house. I've actually, I've had people tell me they own it so they can do whatever they want with it. Yeah. Not at the same time that they're calling it the global, uh, what do you call it? What, what, is, what, what's that asshat calling it? Um, man, my brain, um, today is just not working. Um, I mean, he was speaking about it like it was going to be like the bastion of free speech, but I don't yeah, know if that's that, where you're going. Yeah, with it. but that they call it like the the fireside chat or something like town hall. That's what they call it. The global town hall. Kiss my ass. You just took away somebody's voice. You just took somebody's voice and then said, no, 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 no. you're going to talk like this by giving them this stupid handle. They may not have a problem with it, but I do. Um, they might be sitting there going, yeah, well, you know, it's a Twitter slash X account, so I don't really care. But my God, I mean. Yeah, but how many people have even a single letter Twitter account, yeah. for example? I mean, it's not like he had X, one, two, three, four, blah, 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 blah. And yeah. that was taken. It would still be a problem. It's but such a tool. This person like got in there early and got a good name and whatever. Quote, they just took it, essentially. Kind of what I thought might happen. They did send an email saying it is the property of X, essentially. <laughs> such an asshole. I swear. The X handle was already taken by a teenager or by a, a user who registered it over 16 years ago. Uh, but that wasn't much of an obstacle. Yeah, we own it. This is my point, right? Like when billionaires own so much, they disconnect from their humanity. They can do whatever they want to with impunity. They can buy whatever they want. They can force somebody else to do something that they wouldn't naturally do because they will either buy them or punish them some way, politically, economically, socially, whatever. This is the world that we want. This is the type of thing that we want going on. It's sociopathic. Wang said he didn't need to hear uh, from Mr. Musk directly. Mr. Musk doesn't deserve that. Uh, but it would have been nice to have gotten something for the account. He views his any compensation as more of a nice to have slash bonus rather than a requirement. He said, maybe I should ask for the blue bird they are taking down from the headquarters uh, since it's no longer Twitter anymore. Or a friend suggested asking for a Tesla Model X or a ride on SpaceX. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Uh, so Twitter claims the right to take any username. This is actually the same thing that um, I've experienced um, on another social network um, where they basically said, yeah, that name may be um, protected in the real world, but we are our own space and it doesn't apply. Well, I'm sure if I was a billionaire, it would suddenly apply. Um, 
Anyway, Twitter says it can take over any username in its terms of service. Quote, we may also remove or refuse to, uh, to distribute any content on the services, limit distribution or visibility of any content on the service, suspend or terminate users, and reclaim usernames without liability to you, the Twitter terms say. That line was already in the Twitter terms before Musk bought the company. Um, Usernames can have a monetary value. The owner of at N, uh, Naoki Hiro, uh, Hiroshima, um, wrote, wrote in 2014 that he'd been offered as much as $50,000 for it um, and that people have tried to steal it. One hacker was successful in taking control of at N, but Twitter later restored the handle to Hiroshima. Um, yeah. What's interesting, though, is... If Twitter caught wind of that sale, they would probably have disabled and taken the account because it's technically their asset, um, as opposed to somebody being an asshole. Anyway, let's move on to the last article for tonight. Um, yeah, let me throw this into chat. I found this one really interesting because if a company does this, then they're just transporting goods from one location to another. But the title of this article is one family pocketed $7.6 million by taking cans and bottles from Arizona and recycling them in California. Prosecutors say that's fraud. Prosecutors say that a family that made $7.6 million from recycling defrauded the state of California. The family based in Southern California is accused of recycling materials they purchased in Arizona. Investigators recovered more than a million dollars worth of illegally imported beverage containers. If they would have just melted it down, you know, and, and created aluminum bricks, they could have taken those aluminum bricks to somebody and it wouldn't have been a big deal. Um, well, anyway, the articles over at businessinsider.com, Charles R. Davis is the author of this. I, I don't understand why this should matter. It's arbitrage uh, pricing. They're basically taking something from a lower price region and maximizing the profit by selling it in a higher price region. This is what businesses do with all kinds of assets all over the place. Yeah, but it depends on whether the state, for instance, receives revenues from the recycling, um, whether there's different fees assessed if you're a business or, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that go into this. And I cannot fi figure out how they made 7.6 million because that sounds like multiple years or just a massive operation. When someone purchases a plastic or aluminum bottle in California, they typically pay an extra five to 10 cents in California redemption value or the CRV, which the consumer can get back if they return the items to one of the state's more than 1200 recycling centers. Arizona has no such program. California's recycling program is funded by consumers and helps protect our environment and our communities, Bonta said. Those who try to undermine its integrity through criminal operations will be held accountable. I don't know how anybody would ever freaking know that this would be illegal or a criminal enterprise. In the criminal complaint, prosecutors specifically accused the family of 
uh, unlawfully conspiring to make to commit grand theft and on a chronic and ongoing basis defrauding the California recycling program by seeking reimbursement for out-of-state containers as well as containers uh, that had already been redeemed within California. I don't know how they would have done that. If it's purchased by a recycling center, how did they get it already right, redeemed? Are they like uh, selling it and then stealing it and reset? I mean, I don't know what they're doing. I'm just saying that as an idea. Wow. Last year, six people were charged in a similar Arizona to California recycling scheme that, according to prosecutors, netted more than 10 million by fraudulently redeeming more than nine tons of empty beverage containers. Between in 10 years, at least 93 people in California were convicted of recycling fraud, according to a report. Wow. There's again, uh, like always, there's more that you can suss out by going to these articles, the links that are in our chat, um, in the vote at the election site, uh, over at hometown, um, and in the show notes will lead you to the, this and many, many, many more articles. Um, but not the total amount of the articles. You'll only get a small snippet. The real nuts and bolts of each article is at the visit the source link. Um, we just grab some interesting news, about 12 articles every day, and then we talk about it for an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Today just happened to be an hour and a half. Um, that said, we always go back to the very front page, the, the welcome sign, if you will, and mash that button, let it refresh, and we get to see some more news. It never ends, and we're adding and disabling sources periodically uh, based on the efficacy of the news. Um, and uh, if you think that there is a source that you would like to see us start talking about, um, let us know. You can send an email to mayor at hometown.com um, or a direct message here on Twitch or a message over on YouTube. You can always leave a review. What I would really like people to do is download the podcast, leave a review, if you leave a five-star review, I will say whatever it is you say in the review. Um, we, <laughs> we, the show here on Twitch and the podcast is one in the same. There is no different. Maybe the bumpers are a little bit tighter on the podcast because um, the audio portion of it gets truncated so that it's it starts sooner. Um, but. Uh, the uh, stream here on Twitch and over on YouTube and the podcast audio, it's all identical with no edits um, or as little as possible. So if you enjoy the show and talking about the news, please download that podcast um, and, and write a review, um, whatever it is, good or bad, um, as long as it isn't um, you know, offensive, like uh, just overtly offensive, um, I will uh, give you credit for it. So you'll <laughs> you'll get a mention here in the stream. Um, of course, if you come and you talk to me here in chat, that's awesome too. Would really appreciate it. Um, this is where I really want to be live on Twitch talking about the news and I want to expand. Um, and, uh, well, I, I, I'll be doing this at nine o'clock every day. Uh, but like I said, you know, I want to expand to greater hours and uh, I need your help to facilitate that. So, um, yeah, I like to hang out with people and, and talk. Uh, I, I'll give you an example of how bad this is. 
Uh, I once worked in a restaurant when I was much younger and uh, somebody paid a $50 tip and wrote on the back of the receipt, get out of the food service industry. And um, I only worked for one day and I ended up talking with people and they said, you know, you're really bad at this because all you want to do is hang out with the people and, and chat about stuff. Um, and so that's kind of how I am here on, uh, <laughs> on Twitch. So, uh, please come and hang out. Um, I love the company. So it's a, it's a lot of fun to talk about the news and games and I stream, uh, I will be streaming uh, again. Um, but it's going to be later in the day, uh, starting probably next week uh, i'll probably be starting around um four and going until six and then um, i transition over so that i can get some mayoral duties done and then um, do the hometown daily show which is at 9 p.m eastern every day uh, rain or shine at least uh, shine most of the time anyway that's it for today uh, we'll go through the news uh, between now and tomorrow, and we'll have 12 more articles to highlight. What say you, AI? You want to say goodnight to everybody? Bye-bye, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for coming and hanging out, folks. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.